Welcome back to Ever Ancient, Ever New, a podcast in which we plumb the depths of the the, uh, the ancient faithness of our faith and look for cool stuff in it. Um, I'll work on that intro. Um, I'm back here with uh, Matt Harold again. We're continuing a conversation. Uh, we started last time uh, about Latin. Uh, why do we still use Latin? What's the point of Latin? And... Um, was the liturgy always in Latin? So if you missed that one, um, go back there because we're going to just kind of jump back in from where we left off. Right. So, Father, if I don't understand Latin at all, how does it actually work anything? Yeah, you just, you're just, you're just, yeah, you get nothing, nothing. Um, yeah, you know, I think um, uh, Pope Benedict made this, made this point, which to me was just, just struck home. He says, um, there's there's a there's a language of the heart, right? And we mentioned last last time Saint Teresa. She's able to have these deep prayer experiences with the Lord by reading a language that she doesn't understand. You know, um, I've thought about it in this way too, that you know when when there's when there's Latin, and I get there's got to be a there's got to be a balance, you know, because I, I get how. If everything's in Latin and I understand zero of it, it's like, okay, there's a little bit of like, okay, I get that this is old. I get that, you know, it goes way back and we're part of a, a tradition that come precedes us. I get that there's some historical beauty to this. Like, okay, but I still don't understand anything. Um, and, then, and then on the other hand, you can say like, let's have everything in the vernacular, everything in English, so I completely understand everything. What's, what's the danger? What's, what do you think the danger is in um, everything? Everything's in vernacular, and so I think I understand everything. What's the danger there? I think once you think you understand everything about God or even anything about God, you're in a very dangerous theological place. <laughs> yeah. Like pretty much the, a foundational theological thing is that God is beyond our understanding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Completely other. Right. I think St. Augustine says that something like, um, if I, if I think I have, if I think I've understood God, I don't understand anything. And, and I think that's a real danger in our faith. Um, I remember talking to this, this kid, another, another parish, I was interviewing him for confirmation and, um, asked him if he had any questions about the faith or anything. He goes, no. I'm like, none? You don't have any questions about the faith? He goes, no, I had a question once about the Trinity, but my teacher answered it for me. And I said, oh, so you completely <laughs> understand the Trinity now? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man. Um, but yeah, I think that's the danger, that like, because this isn't a language that I understand, I know what's being said. That's... No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, we don't understand what's being said. Um, I mean, think of any number of parts of the of the mass where, um, you know, what, what we're like pause on it and say, wait, what did what did we just say? I understood the words. I understand the 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 sounds that are coming out of the priest's mouth, but what do those things mean? What does consubstantial mean? We used to say one in being with the Father. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, I get the words. Well, what does it mean? Holy, holy, holy. I know, I know the word holy. Okay, well, what's the word holy mean? What's the word holy mean, Matt? 
Well, you're putting me on the spot. I couldn't tell you, but I probably couldn't even answer it well, even if you didn't put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it, it, but but I think that's it. Like, it's like, well, yeah, I, I mean, God's holy. Like, okay, well, what what makes him what makes him holy? Or if you, if there's somebody who you see who's like, wow, that person's really holy. What is it about them that you you're saying that? You could use other words to describe that person. But probably you're probably just still beating around the bush of actually defining what holy means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're, they're really pious. They they speak slowly and in a soft voice, yeah. and they pray a lot. Right. They genuflect really slowly. It's like, well, what are what are we getting at? You know, um, I, I like the the Hebrew word for holy. Uh, from what I understand, means something. Some of the context of like other as in different, as in not like anything else, you know? And so when you say, holy, 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 you're not, it's not, it's not redundancy. It's not like, well, the song would sound better if we said, holy, 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 instead of just really, really holy. Um, but we're saying like, God is so other. He, he's not like anything we can possibly comprehend. He's not like anything on, on this earth. He's not like anything that I've seen or tasted or touched. Or, he's beyond my comprehension. And, and any this is a theological truth that every good theolo- theologian knows, that whatever knowledge I do have of God, there's still an infinite amount about God that I do not know. Like, well, that ninth grader that I was interviewing did not have that concept. He was satisfied with his, you know, whatever answer the, his, his teacher had given him. Um, yeah, and, and so I think, that's, I think that's the danger is, is to think that I know that I've got to figure it out. Like, yeah, and I get this, I've got this a lot, a lot of priests get this. Father, I can't hear you. And sometimes if I'm feeling particularly snarky, I say, well, at, when I'm preaching, you can hear me, or at the altar? At the altar. Like, oh, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I wanna, or I want to say, like, well, it's all written down. I'm just reading. So you can open up your book and read, too. Um, but, then, but then I want to say, like, well, why do, you, why do you need to hear the words? Do you understand the words? Do you understand what it means when I say to you, therefore, most merciful Father, um, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these offerings. It's like, what is, what does that mean? What's, what's our offering? What's, what's, what's it mean to be merciful? You know, like all these things. Uh, I I think we, I think we can forget that it's mystery. We're entering into a profound mystery. It's funny. You you say that I'm not talking to you because I'd say not to get back to my own conversion, but the, the use of ad orientum here at St. Max was mm. interesting in that that was one of the things that I feel like just suddenly clicked. Is like, oh, you know, he he actually isn't talking to me mm. when he's doing all these Eucharistic prayers because it's like it's very pronounced when you are talking to me and when you're not because when you're talking to me, you turn around and then you talk to me. But right. then when you're talking to God, you turn around and you talk to God and it's one of those, again, little, small little, you could argue it's a nuance, but it, it's something that really makes it obvious what, that this is different. Like you are, you are doing something that's not of this world, really. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you, you, 
mention holy 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 i mean right before we sing the the song too you know you say you know we're joining with all the angels and saints and we're you know singing this this song of praise and it's like well how how do we actually join with all the angels and saints like are they are they here with us i mean yes but right it's that's that's such a when you really start to think about all those little things that's such a profound mystery that you know, yeah, I can tell you how that works. But. Right. And I think that's, that's it. I mean, I love, I love what you said there. And I think that, that to me too is like, wait, is it more important to know what I'm saying to God or that I'm joining with the angels and saints in his praise? And, and I think sometimes we have this tendency like, let's drag the angels and saints down to make them sing with us <laughs> rather than allow them to elevate us to sing with them. And if I'm singing an angelic tongue, like, I don't know what I'm saying, but look, I'm with all the angels and saints, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that's, I think that's so good. Um, yeah. And I, I like, I like that, you know, it's like, and that, that's, that's for me too, the, the, the points like, oh, who, because I think for a priest, it's helpful too. Like, oh, I'm not talking to them right now. You know, I'm, I'm talking to somebody else. I think I mentioned this on the, on the podcast one time is, is kind of like in the context of like theater or performance. Well, I never, I never would turn my back on somebody when I'm doing theater. It's like one of the first lessons you learn, like st- you cheat out, cheat out. You keep your face forward. Even if you're trying, like, even if you're talking to somebody to your side, you're kind of talking forward because the audience needs to see you because you're really talking to them. But liturgy is different. We're, we're not, I'm not performing. I'm not, I'm not doing something for you. I'm doing something with you. So I think that's really important. I think, um, I think that this is a, a post-enlightenment problem. I, I, I'm willing to wager that there wasn't a lot of conversation about which way the, the priest should stand or what language um, the, it should be in until after, after the enlightenment. I bet that was when it really took off. I got a, I got a buddy who's, um, his grandfather was Lutheran, a Lutheran minister. And he was telling me that it's like, yep, there's my grandpa's church. He celebrated Adorantum there. Like Lutheran in like the 1990s, you know, in 2000s, he's still, he's celebrating Adorantum. It's like, yeah, we, we get it, you know? Um, so there's places where it just just stayed like yeah this makes sense we're we're praying we're not talking to each other <laughs> by the way this is a great I had first communion uh, with the kids last year and I was uh, one of the kids asked why is there a crucifix on the altar and uh, and I always put the question back to them and I said yeah why is the why is there a crucifix on what do you guys think and one little girl and raised her hand and she's kind of she's kind of a little bit spacey you know and she's just kind of looking up and out and and she just goes because we're not having just an ordinary conversation here. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's exactly it. We're not having an ordinary conversation. We're, we're talking to somebody else. We're, we're doing something else. We're doing something other. We're doing something holy. And when we, when we step into that place, and we have a great church here. It's so beautiful. You walk in, you go, oh, this is different. This is other. This is holy. All right. Um, but I think enlightenment in particular was this rationalization of everything. Like I need to understand everything. I need to be able to comprehend everything. And so if you're speaking in a language that I don't understand, that is bad because I'm not being able to fulfill my full potential of being a, a rational uh, human, a rational animal. You know? um, and so we kind of lost, we kind of lost the... Uh, 
the heart level that we were talking about. Like there's an understanding of the level of the heart, which is defies reason, defies understanding. Now that goes, it's not contrary to, it just like doesn't operate on the same level. Um, uh, do you ever read the bulletin? I do. Do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, all right. Um, I ask because most people under 40 don't read the bulletin. Um, in fact, if I didn't write the bulletin, I'd have no idea what was in the bulletin. Um, but I, I think last week or the week before, I'd mentioned this. This is something that had been in my heart recently because uh, I had I'd read um, uh, first, first Corinthians 13. And as a good Protestant, do you know First Corinthians 13? About love, right? About love. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love is patient. Love is kind. Yep. Um, the wedding, the wedding verses. The wedding yeah, chapter. exactly. Was that at your wedding? I can't remember. Honestly. That's really bad. <laughs> Probably, but I can't, yeah, right. can't remember. <laughs> um, so, uh, but then, but then it says like, but when, when we see God face to face at the end of, at the end of our life, when we see him face to face, it says knowledge will fade away. Because we'll know as we're fully known, and you know, like what a what a beautiful what a beautiful image. And maybe you've had experiences like this, like with with your wife, that like we're not speaking, we're not saying anything, we're just kind of with each other, and we're just maybe looking at each other in the eyes, and like this is somebody who who knows me in a way that I can't even explain. Like I know them in a way I I can't even I couldn't begin to tell you about her or about how much I love her. You know, if you had mm-hmm. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you can you can just sense when either things are good or things are kind of off or right. whatever because you you know them so so well and intimately. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that, it's that level of it's level of the heart. And so so in that in that First Corinthians passage, um, it, like. It's like all every everything up until that moment, be like, yeah, nothing else, nothing else matters. All the books that I've read, all the all the stuff that I've studied, and the videos I've looked at, and all the podcasts I've listened to, none of them matter anymore. Like if if I had if I had not wasted my time with all of those and just waited until this moment to see God face to face, I would be none worse for the wear. Now there's still there's still a good like we want there's a good in expanding our knowledge and our understanding and, and, and love demands that. Like, I love God so much. I want to, I want to know more. I want to, I want to find out more. Um, but in the end, what remains? Only love. love. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's, that's, I think where, what the, the enlightenment loses. Like we're knowledge, logic, reason, rationalization, well, what about what about what about love? What about that just that communion? Because that's that's what that's what heaven is. It's this communion of of love, communion of persons, not um, you know a, a long reading from the Summa Theologica by <laughs> by Saint Thomas Aquinas, who, by the way, at, when he had a vision of the of the Lord at the end of his career, uh, he stopped writing and he just said, "Everything I've written is like straw compared to what I've seen," and. Like I have, see those books at the bottom shelf over there, the three, yep. the four on the left, and that's not. That's just that's just the summa minus one volume, uh, and that's not all the books. It's like that's some of the best stuff that's still in published print. Every every seminary, every theological union, every uses it. It's just straw. What? That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. 
Um, yeah. So, so I think, I mean, maybe this is getting back to your question that you la- asked, asked last time. Like, what's, what's the purpose of still having Latin? Like, we still need that reminder that, that knowledge, that understanding is not the end-all be-all. It's not everything. It's not the most important thing. Um, so there's this, there's this great little, uh, so when Pope Paul VI was instituting the, the res- revisions, the new mass, we call it the Novus Ordo, um, he wrote this that went along with it. And he was saying like, yeah, there's going to be some changes, um, you know, and I'm just asking you to bear, bear with us. And, and then he says this, it's here the greatest newness will be noticed is the newness of language. And listen how he talks about Latin. No longer Latin, but the spoken language will be the principal language of the Mass. The introduction of the vernacular will certainly be a great sacrifice for those who know the beauty and the power in the expressive sacrility of Latin. We're parting with the speech of the Christian centuries. We are becoming like profane intruders in the literary preserve of sacred utterance. We will lose a great part of the stupendous and incomparable artistic and spiritual thing, the Gregorian chant. We have reason indeed for regret, reason almost for bewilderment. What can we put in the place of the language of the angels? We are giving up something of priceless worth, but why? What is more precious than the loftiest of the church's values? And then he, and he goes on to say, like, there, there is a value in understanding. And, and I've heard different, different stories from um, people like, wow, when, when, I, when I first heard the Mass, even though you could read it before that, like, there is something, there's something powerful and beautiful about that, you know. Um, but he, he'll, go, he'll go on to say, but we still need to have some Latin. And he even says this. But in any case, the new rite of the Mass provides that the faithful should be able to sing together in Latin at least the parts of the ordinary of the Mass, especially the Creed and the Lord's Prayer, um, the Sanctus, the Agnus Dei. Um, because that reminds us of those things, that we're, we're singing with the angels, we're singing over the centuries, that the language of, of um, understanding is not the primary language, but that there's something, something deeper here. You know? um, so I, th- I, think that's, I think that's good, and it's, it's that, that, that balance um, and in fact, there's somewhere else where he says it, and I can't remember where, but uh, I read it in a quote recently. And he said, no longer will you be mere spectators, but now you will have to participate. Which in a certain sense is like, oh, shoot, I could just like kind of zone off if I needed to. And now like I have to pay attention because I have no excuse not to. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you, you remember like, so... We've a, during Advent and Lent here, we'll do some of the Eucharistic prayer. I'll just kind of turn the mic off and we'll do it more quietly, um, which I think gets into that again too. Like, hey, not, we're not talking to each other here. We're talking to God. He can hear me. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, there's something else that I'm, I'm supposed to be doing right now. It's not a mere listening. It's not a mere, I understand these words and I know what's going on, but, oh, Am I offering my sacrifice? Am I, am I doing what the priest is doing in a spiritual way? You know? Sure. So, um, yeah. Have we gotten to all your questions? I think the, another one that 
maybe kind of what you were talking about, but the the change to vernacular, as we were just talking about, Vatican II coincided with a lot of other changes to the liturgy, right? It wasn't just vernacular. There were other other changes that happened. And I guess a question I have is whether or not, um, you know, could argue that some of the other changes perhaps weren't made the mass not quite as reverent in in its celebration. So I'm I'm wondering if some of the um, conversation surrounding Latin has become kind of conflated with just a, a general lack of reverence and or at least in some people's opinion mm-hmm. in some of the the newer masses. Um, and you know you you go around to a six different parishes throughout the metro you'll see six different ways that the mass is celebrated right, right. you know it's all the mass but it's all everyone's got their their own little way that they like to do things and um at least again from someone who hasn't really experienced latin a lot it seems like a, some at least some people would argue that the you know the vernacular is not as reverent mm-hmm. and to me it just seems that perhaps it's that those who use only the, the vernacular just do other things that aren't as reverent where right. you, could, you could easily be incredibly reverent while using the vernacular and you could be irreverent using latin it's not it's right. not that latin is necessarily by its nature more reverent yeah. or at least you could make that argument yeah yeah i, I think we're i think we're like latin kind of, so so i'd say yes because some some of those people are like Mass must be in Latin. We talk about the Latin mass. Well, what they're really talking about is the the old form of the mass uh, because the mass can be done in Latin. And in fact, I know of one story where the priest had some people like, you got to do mass in Latin, do mass in Latin. He didn't know the old mass. So they they bought him a missal in the new missal in Latin, but then they never came to it when he would do it on like first Saturdays or something. <laughs> it's like, so it's not about just, just Latin. Now, I would say, that when mass is in Latin, when, when the priest is forced to say everything in Latin, so to speak, um, you kind of mitigate those those other possibilities of the irreverences that can creep in. You know, like, so the difference between, you know, Father Super Pious and, you know, Father, you know, Super Cash when you're saying the old Latin mass or just mass in Latin in general is is pretty narrow. You know, there's a narrow margin of differences because, like, well, I can't be like super casual or super pious in in a language that I, I'm not free with. And for most of the most of the history of the church, um, priests were not always great Latinists. You know, so let's not pretend that. Um, so whereas if it's in the vernacular, I'm very comfortable in this language. I can kind of do off the cuff and say whatever I want. Well, now there's a much greater variance between Father Super Pious and Father um, Father Super Cash. And and so that's where the the Latin just kind of zaps zaps uh, those possibilities and keeps us a little bit more uniform. Um, you know that said, like, can we just take the you know so like the way that we do mass here actually is I just try to do it. I just try to do what the what the books what the book says and do the little bit of Latin that the Pope and the Council and the Church documents tell us that we should know and. And actually, I think we have a very reverent mass. I agree. Yeah. In fact, I noticed that on reverentmass.org, we made the we made the list. Reverentcatholicmass.org, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, good. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up there. This is good. Good conversation. Yeah, thanks, Father. Yeah. Thanks for the email and the questions. And 
Um, maybe we'll do it again sometime. And if anybody else has uh, an email and questions and wants to be on the podcast, or you, you can email your questions and you don't have to be on the podcast. That's okay, too. Um, but this is a good way to do it. All right. All right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Till next time.